Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. It's Thursday, May 6, 2021. Welcome back to the CBS Sports High on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I suppose I should open by apologizing for my voice. I lost it completely two nights ago. No idea why. It's starting to come back, but as I'm sure you can tell already, not quite all the way there yet. So th- this is what you get, for better or worse. I don't know when I'm going to be good again. Deadleg, how you been? How's your voice holding up? Dead voice. <laughs> what in the world? Dead voice. I got to admit, I kind of thought GP might try and pull the pull the ripcord on this whole podcast thing today, maybe even tomorrow. But we, listen, we're here for you, people. We're going to go through it. Here's how I learned of Parrish's issue. Uh, with his voice here. This is the opening of his radio show. This is about 20 seconds or so. This is how he introduced himself to his loyal audience in the greater Memphis area on Tuesday afternoon. All right. I'm, I'm here. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of. Just barely. Oh, my goodness. It gets even more ridiculous from there. Yeah, but you powered through <laughs> no radio show yesterday. I got to admit GP, um and I hope I'm not jinxing anything. It has been I haven't lost my voice. It's been at least 20 years. Now you talk daily pretty much even with the radio show uh cuz that's that's part of your daily gig here. So you simply what? Woke up Tuesday morning and didn't have a voice? No reason why you think uh, no yelling at the Mets games for five straight nights that led to this? What are we thinking here? That wasn't it. On Monday during the show, I started feeling like I was stopped up, you know, like needing to blow my nose pretty often. And I started feeling my voice going. Like I, I even said to my producer, like during the last break, I was like, am I starting to sound different to you? Because I feel different and I, I, it sounds different to me. He was like a little bit, but like, not really. And I said, I feel like my voice is going by that night. It was completely gone. Like around eight thirty, nine o'clock, I couldn't say a word. And then I woke up the next morning, Tuesday morning, and it was a little better. And I sort of talked to myself throughout the day. Like I took my, you know, I'm alone all day long after I get my kids off to school. So I took my, my middle guy to school and talked to him on the way there. And then on the way back, I was like practicing talking as dumb as it sounds. And I was like, uh, you know, all right. And, uh, the, the, the Grizzlies, uh, played the Knicks last night and blah, blah, blah. I'm just talking to, you know, I could talk. And once I, if I stay at the exact same level, it, it, and, and don't go anywhere else, then it, this is, I sort of settle into what you're hearing right now. And I had convinced myself heading into Tuesday's show, I was like, okay, this will sound different, but it'll still be me. And I'm, I'm getting the words out. And then I tried to open the show where I raised my voice just a little bit, nothing crazy, but it's a, it's a different level. 
and it was just there was nothing there. And then as I continued talking, it got worse and worse and worse. And it was almost like having a sputtering car. Like once you got it going, like once I started talking, I could talk for five straight minutes or 10 straight minutes again, like this. But starting was a problem every time. And so I realized about eight minutes into that show on Tuesday, I, 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 I wish I wouldn't have done this. And now I'm here. So we're just going to get through it. If it's not better by Wednesday, I'm not going to do the show. So I did not do the show on Wednesday. Today is Thursday. I'm planning on doing the show this afternoon, but this is what it this is what it'll sound like. Um, here's the other problem. I've got I'm co-hosting Time to Shine tomorrow. Oh boy. I, I, I'm hoping I sound better than this by tomorrow, but if not, um, this will be the voice you get on CBS Sports Network. All right, I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm gonna try and uh, I'm gonna try and, and get that. That I, I love that kinda, kinda, kinda. <laughs> I might have to put that into the sound drop there. So keep that in mind. And it's you know it's a joy to be able to do um, a podcast episode with someone going through puberty. So I, I've, I've always <laughs> wanted to do this here. But hey, it's great to it's great to be with you. And yeah, let's get that voice better for you to be on yeah, television. Yeah, I've had I've had a few people say like, hey, I hope you feel better, which is a sweet thing to tell somebody um but i don't feel bad i've never really felt bad i just um i just lost my voice so um i'm assuming it'll come back i i hope so i don't know what else i'll be able to do besides talk for a living so hopefully it'll be back soon in the meantime this is what you get all right uh dead leg uh, as you detailed in a story earlier this week uh the ncaa men's basketball rules committee is convening like right now in indianapolis to review 13 possible rule changes. You you wrote about it. People can find that story, cbssports.com. So I'll let you walk us through it. Plus, you have a, a more pleasant voice than I have. What are the significant changes under consideration right now? Absolutely. Yeah. Listen, if, if I need to carry the load talking on this episode, <laughs> we, let's maybe we should be doing that. We've um, never needed Sam Vecini more than we need him right now. Tell me about it. <laughs> tell me about it. Uh, Sam, we'll get to you in a couple minutes, buddy. All right. So... Yeah, right now as we speak, in Indianapolis, the Rules Committee is meeting uh, the Men's Basketball Rules Committee. It's comprised of 13 people. It's three Division One coaches. The coaches uh, that are on it are Tad Boyle, who's the chair, Bob Huggins, and Rick Barnes. Then uh, there's Division Two and Division Three representatives, uh, in addition to... Uh, Secretary Art Highland. So uh, the rules apply across all three divisions. Uh, occasionally, when there are financial things to take into consideration, sometimes D1 can turn it over quickly in a matter of months, whereas D2 and D3 need another year. That's exactly what happened when the three-point line was extended. D1 got it one year earlier because D1 facilities could afford to change over the layouts of their courts there. So they are talking, uh, as we speak here on Thursday, Friday we'll have news. We will have news about rules recommendations. The Rules Committee uh, does not make the rule changes. All they do is recommend them, and then another governing body, the Playing uh, Rules Oversight Panel, PROP as it's referred to, that actually is the group that looks at all the recommendations and then uh, it, it vets it out through various channels, if you will, university presidents, coaches, ambassadors, and basically says, okay, we've got these two items, these four items, these six items. This is what the rules committee thinks we should do, but are there any other considerations outside of pure competition, financial, television, that we need to take into account if we're going to officially make these uh, ratified? So that'll happen over the next few weeks, and then whatever gets recommended on Friday would become official in June and be on the books for next season. Um, the story does detail the 13 that are under consideration there. There are only two, in my opinion, that are likely to be on the books for next season. And they're not that huge. Um, one is 
interpreting traveling to allow for Euro steps, spin moves, and step backs. Um, that happens to a certain extent already, but this would be so that you might not have inconsistency of interpretation of traveling from one official to another. And then the other one is just to allow laptops and tablets onto the bench right now. Uh, you're not allowed to have any kind of technology, period on the sideline, but this would allow for coaching purposes for you to have laptops and tablets. Those seem inevitable. There's a number that are not going to be recommended, at least unlikely to be. Again, some things can change in the room, um, but stuff like stuff that I think just has no business even being discussed, like eliminating the 10-second backcourt rule, eliminating the five-second closely guarded rule. Um, an interesting one is allowing the offensive team to decline free throws in the final two minutes and simply choose to use an inbounds pass instead. Um that would be to try and eliminate uh, a number of free throws down the stretch, but I think that actually has an unintended consequence, so I don't think that's going to happen. They are probably not going to widen the lane to NBA length from 12 to 16 feet, but that will definitely be a spirited discussion. A uh, couple things with instant replay uh, in, in regard to shot clock violation and goaltending and interference that is probably not going to be recommended. And then what we want to talk about here. There are four things uh, that we should get to here. Uh, there is a two-year NIT trial period with some of this stuff. If it doesn't get recommended and instead the committee says, listen, we want more data, let's for the next two years, because the rules change or they get upgraded, tweak the rule book every two years. So this won't happen again until 2023. So the two that I think actually have a decent chance of going to NIT trial period, one, you limit teams to two timeouts in the final two minutes of a game in overtime, which... Hell yeah. Let's reduce timeouts. And I think there's a chance that they're willing to at least experiment with this at the NIT level. Uh, this would, you know, you are providing less stoppages in a game. I think that would be, you don't need more than two timeouts per team in the final two minutes. The other one is eliminating basket interference uh, once the ball hits the rim, period. So if it's in the cylinder, the offense can do a tip back dunk. They can... They can get in there and uh, and not have to worry about basket interference. The ball is always live after it hits the rim or the flange. I don't think that is as likely for a two-year NIT trial period, but I do think that there's a, a real good chance. Um, I, the concern with that, I'm told, is that players have not been coached and taught to do that, and how long would it take to adjust? What are you know? With all of this stuff, as Tad Boyle, who's the chair, uh, told me, he's like, you always need to consider any unintended consequence. You have to be very deliberate about what you're going to recommend and what you're not going to recommend. Then the other two, and I know you've got thoughts on this, and I'll throw it back to you. Um, you've got quasi-quarters, which I think that they should try at the NIT period uh, trial period. So basically, you can't have traditional quarters because of TV contracts and... I laid out in the story why that is. But if you're hoping for quarters, that's just not happening anytime soon because this isn't the NFL where the NFL TV deal applies to all networks on the same timeline. The contract starts and ends in the same year. You've got different leagues, different. you've got CBS, ESPN, Fox Sports, Big Ten Network. All these TV uh, networks have their contracts end in different dates, so you can't have a situation where ESPN's like, all right, cool, let's go to quarters. We'll build out our uh, contract and our ad revenue for that. But meanwhile, Fox and CBS... Are like that. That's, that's not how our situation works whatsoever. We still have ad money tied to the idea of us stopping at under 16 and under 12 and under 8 and under 4. So until there can be a day where, you know, that can be on the same page and those things can align, we will not have quarters. There is an Ertzatz way to work around that and as to have the fouls reset at the 10-minute mark in each half so that you have... Um, 
Once you get to five fouls, you get two foul shots. And then at the 10-minute mark, you reset to zero. This is a workaround there that I think would be worth trying at the NIT level GP. Um, it's the only thing you're going to get if you want quarters, basically. And I'm not saying quarters will never happen. I'm telling you, we're at least a decade, if not 20 to 30 years out, from having quarters in men's college basketball. So they're going to talk about that. If you do that, you get rid of the one-on-one, -on -one, and I kind of like the one-on-one, -on -one, so I'm a little ambivalent on that. And then the big one that I don't think is going to pass that I don't think is going to go to the NIT trial period, but it is going to be discussed. It has been discussed a lot, and that is the modified six foul rule. Um, it's 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 complicated, but it's not. You get six fouls only if you you know you can commit three in the first half, basically, and then you get three more in the second half. Or if you commit two in the first half, you get four in the second half, and the fourth foul, which would be the sixth foul, would eliminate you there. Uh, but the drawbacks on that are two. One, you would restrict, a, let's say a player played a first half and had zero fouls. You are allowed four fouls max in a half. You are disqualified with, at the fourth foul. So you are punishing a player with zero fouls in the first half to only having four in the second half. How often would that come up? I don't know. But nonetheless, you are restricting them. They now are, are in a situation where they only get four. And then uh, the other part of that is, would you, you know, would you be putting the game into a situation where it might be becoming more physical, you might have more trips to the free throw line, you're extending the game. Um, that is certainly worth considering. The reason they're considering it at all is there is a push to try and allow college basketball to have its best players on the floor as much as possible. And by having a six foul, you are enabling that to some level. I actually, I like the creativity. I like trying to, to think of these things here. Um, I don't think the six foul rule is going to pass. I don't think it's going to go to the NIT. But at least we're starting to think about how can we, how can we have ways uh, where we can allow our players to be on the floor more or as much as possible because college basketball could certainly use this. And I know you have a very simple, if not imperfect, way of trying to work around this. I am in favor of figuring out a way to keep the best players on the court more often. I do think that's a real problem in college basketball that simply isn't a problem in the NBA. I mean, how? tell me the last time you watched an NBA game and you heard an announcer say, and now James Harden has to go to the bench with foul trouble. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. And now LeBron, ooh, that's three on LeBron in the second quarter. Now he's got to go. Now, perhaps it's because of the way the game is officiated. Maybe it's uh, tied to the way the coaches handle foul situations with their own players. But you... Foul trouble, as it is, is not nearly as big of a thing in the NBA as it is in college basketball. So the, the first question is, okay, how do we fix that? And the, the easiest or, or most obvious way is we'll just let them have six fouls. You know, then, then you know, two fouls in the first eight minutes won't be that big of a deal. So in the national title game, Jalen Suggs would stay on the court as opposed to go to the bench after he picks up two early fouls. The problem with going just straight to six appears to be that when the Big East did it, everybody, and maybe that's overstating it, but seems like most people who either remember that or were a part of that do not like it. That 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 seems to be my – I don't have a, a great memory of that. Mm -hmm. But the people who lived through it and studied it and watched it felt like all it did was create more fouls in a game. 
slowed the game down, made it uglier. The people, by and large, the people who were part of that did, didn't seem to like it. And so that that needs to be recognized. Like we, we've tried this before in one of the best leagues in the country and it didn't go so well. Um, but I would still be open to it in, 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 in the spirit of, well, maybe it would go better this time. I absolutely despise the three in the first half, three in the second half thing. That's just, that's making it too complicated. A, for the reason you pointed out, um, so somebody gets zero. Like right now, the rule is if you have zero in the first half, you get five in the second half. Mm. But under the proposed rule, if you had zero in the first half, you only get four in the second half. Well, I don't like that. Plus, it just gets confusing for the viewer. Like somebody gets fouled. And there's uh, the, the third foul on Drew Timmy. Okay, but how many is that this half? You know, it's just like, it's, I don't want to think that much. Like, he's got three fouls. He's got three fouls. I don't need to figure – yeah, but two are in this half, so be careful. Like, I don't need all that. So, I would – I'm open to ideas about six. I hate the three and three. But I wonder on some level if the fix to this problem is simply getting coaches to understand you don't have to auto bench your best player or one of your top three players, or anybody with two fouls in the first half. This is something I've been talking about for years. I've written about multiple times. Too often in college basketball, coaches watch their best player get a, a foul at the 18-minute mark and then gets a second foul with 14.23 to go, and now that player is on the bench for the final 14.23 of the first half because that player has, quote, foul trouble. Well, it's only foul trouble if that's what you decide to call it. There's no rule that makes you sit that player down. You can hide him on defense. You can just tell him to be smart. And I know that won't eliminate the possibility of picking up a third in the first half, but how often do we see this? Player gets two early fouls on the bench for the rest of the half. Player finishes with three fouls. Mm -hmm. It happens all the time. So I've thought for a while it, you know, and I'm not a college basketball coach, but I thought for a while, if I were, I, I would be totally anti auto bench in the first half after two early fouls. Um, I would take it on a case by case basis, but I wouldn't have a hard and fast rule. And I think too many coaches at the high major level, especially have a hard and fast rule, like two fouls. You don't play again to the second half. And that more than the five foul elimination, that more than anything is what, um, uh, uh, limits the number of minutes star players play in college basketball sometimes. Yep, and uh, I think there needs to be some, and I think there will be some evolution on that from coaches. Now, some are going to probably always just go to their habits there. I understand that, but um, uh, resisting the auto bench at two fouls would certainly be key. Uh, this is a, a convoluted issue in that, you know, uh, Calling charges, block charge rule, interpretation, how it's used, officials like that. Also, that that's an issue well, that gets compounded. There, 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 there's another one that I've heard some people throw out that I, I would I'm at least interested in. Right, I'd, I'd be willing to talk it out. Um, somebody said keep it at five fouls, but charges don't count as personal fouls. That's charges it. are charges are turnovers, but they're not personal fouls because so often when we see somebody pick up two early fouls, one of them's a charge. So that is intriguing uh if you do that do you empower the player to say all right well i got nothing to lose yeah we could have a turnover 
but that's different from having a foul. I don't know. Um, would you, again, I'm not trying to make this more convoluted than possible. I like that idea, but maybe it's like your first freebie. Your first charge is not a personal foul. It's a turnover, and every subsequent charge after that becomes that because otherwise you could have really aggressive players uh, think about a much talent, much less talented Russell Westbrook that just decides, "F it, F it, I'm going hero ball every time." And I know that I'm not going to get a foul, so I think you need to have some sort of uh, way to disincentivize that. But I do like the idea of maybe having um, the first one be a freebie on the house, and then after that, you're getting you're getting docked there. But whatever. Also, I like this. Listen, the way that the NBA and the college game right now they're proportional with their foul allotments. The NBA is a 48 minute game with six fouls. College basketball is a 40 minute game with five fouls. Um, how about we simply say you get five in regulation and then you get a bonus one if you get to overtime. Now, you know, what, 5% of the games that are played go to overtime, so this wouldn't uh, surface a lot, but it is a way of, uh, of, of, getting that extra, of getting that extra foul if needed to keep, again, the best players on the floor, particularly like overtime by, you know, in its, the very essence of overtime, you know, brings an element of urgency and drama to a game. And if that's the case, you want the best players in that situation. So give them the six, the six foul, and then you are uh, you are afforded that. Uh, and and I'm not even saying you have to. I'm not saying you have to foul out to be able to get back in. I'm saying if a game goes to overtime, every single person available in the game is now allowed a sixth foul in that kind of situation. Uh, you know that's not on the table now this year, but I think when this this modified one fails, I think the allow a sixth foul in overtime. Interpretation. I think that's something that might have a chance in the coming years to at least be discussed. Right. I, I, I guess I'd bottom line it this way. One way or another, we need to figure out how to keep the best players on the court more often. Again, I, I watch the NBA every night. I watch college basketball every night You know, during the season. And the amount of times that you – you, there's a conversation on a broadcast about foul trouble in college basketball compared to how many times it happens in the NBA is you can't even compare the two. Like, I don't even remember conversations about, well, you know, that, that's, that's, that's two on John Morant. He's going to have to sit down for a minute. Like it just, uh, it's not something that happens, but it happens in college basketball every night, every night of the, it happened in the national championship game with Jalen Suggs. I'm not saying that changed the outcome of the game, but it, it was a, it was something that happened in that game. So I don't know if the solution is don't make charges, personal fouls, or go up to six, or just tell coaches, uh, you know, put the data in their hands that says you you limit your 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 uh, best player by auto benching with two fouls in the first half uh, more than just having five fouls in a game does. Like I would love to see a study on the number of times a player is auto benched in the first half after two fouls and then um, like finishes with fewer than four fouls. Right. Like like, that happens all the time. And so I don't know if it's educating coaches or changing the rules and I'm willing to sit in a room and have these conversations and be open-minded about it, but something does need to happen. It's a, it's a problem. Um, It's a problem within the sport. So Gonzaga and UCLA are currently working on scheduling an early season rematch. Their Final Four Instant Classic would be awesome. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. 
With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. So Gonzaga and UCLA are currently working on scheduling an early season rematch of their Final Four instant classic that was played last month. UCLA coach Mick Cronin told Andy Katz about it earlier this week. I subsequently texted with Gonzaga coach Mark Few about it. There's no guarantee it'll happen. Some things would need to be moved around, but this is 100% a game we'd like to see, right? Oh, without a doubt. And, you know, whether they're one, two or whenever, again, this is this is a, uh, a repeat of Gonzaga Baylor. You have the common denominator, Mark Few, who is always being ambitious in his scheduling and looking to play as many good teams as possible in the non-conference. So he is a factor in this. But as you wrote in your column, um, having this particular scheduling philosophy uh, should be something the sport is should be striving more toward. Now, we do have coaches that look to play uh, a game or two or three against high-profile opponents, of course. We know that happens, and sometimes now with with the way the scheduling is, is built out with TV stuff, like it's going to happen no matter what. You have intra-conference series like the Gavit Games, and you have CBS Sports Classic and Champions Classic and, you know, all the tournaments. Like, those uh, inherently enable those matchups to happen, and that's great, but I think more to the spirit of what you were hitting on, it would really be nice if we had more frequently... Coaches of teams within that top 20 or so heading into a season, and the coaches know, or at least they have a pretty good idea if they should be pretty good, right? And if we simply had more coaches wired the way that certainly Mark Few is, Scott Drew is similar, no doubt about it, and, and Mick Cronin... Willing and able, and 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 you know for sure, damn, he wants to he wants to get some revenge and try and get that get that win over Gonzaga. But wouldn't it be great if college basketball could have a situation where every November or maybe the first week of December or whatever, uh, we simply had teams uh, that even if they didn't meet in the NCAA tournament the year before. They were really, really good. They made deep runs, or they're set up to be top 10, top 15, top 20, and the coaches are intentionally seeking each other out to play each other uh, to better their non-conference resumes uh, and for the betterment of the sport. Mark Few is very in tune with this. Uh, It's something that he actually cares a lot about, uh, trying to give college basketball as much prominence and publicity and good matchups as it can in the first six weeks of the season. I do think... 
and I know you make the point in your column, you're not wrong. There are, there's, because of the inventory of teams also this happens, but there are so many just like blah, whatever, doesn't matter games in November, December in college basketball. But I do think that from a non-conference standpoint, college basketball is actually much better now than it was 10 years ago. I, I think it really hit a nadir a while back, and we've gotten a little bit better with that. Again, some of that is a lot of this Gavit game stuff and, and all that that's helping it. But if you have coaches that – actively are seeking out okay we we set up as you know on Gary Parish's top 25 in offseason one uh, top 25 and one offseason rankings we're the seventh ranked team all right let's look at who's five who's nine who's 15 who's 17 like let's just get try and get can we get one or two games and if you had that happen and merely just had it happen GP uh seven or eight times and that's it if you, you know seven or eight games with top 20 level teams and they do it heading into the season because college football is not benefited by this situation whatsoever, then I think you just, again, you bring more attention and urgency and meaning meaningful games uh, to the non-conference schedule and, and embolden and bolster uh, what I think is an improving situation, but obviously can be better. Definitely could be better. And it's wild. Like during this pandemic, dumbest one of my lifetime, we've learned a lot about what we can and cannot do. Like, Oh, you know what? We don't have to meet in person. We can do this by Zoom. Turns out it works just fine. Um, similarly, you know what? You, you don't have to schedule games six months in advance, eight months in advance, two years in advance. We had games scheduled this past season in a matter of days. I mean, you watched Jay Wright and, 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 and Mike Young get a game scheduled in the middle of the night. Um, I remember talking to... Uh, people at North Texas, they were getting ready to go to West Virginia. And I was like, when did that game get added to the schedule? It's like this morning. When's the game? Tomorrow. Oh, really? When did West Virginia reach out to you? Yesterday. So they reached out to you yesterday, signed the contract today, flying there this afternoon and playing tomorrow. Yep. I mean, that's how quickly this stuff was getting done. So there is absolutely no reason whatsoever. Um, coaches of the best programs in the country can't leave a spot you want me to be ambitious too, but at least a spot open on their schedule that says, okay, let's get through the, the season we're in. Let's see who's coming and going. And then we'll have a pretty good idea of, of who's going to matter at least in November and December, like who's going to have a good number next to their name. Who's going to be ranked number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And if one of them's me, I'm going to pick up the phone and call another one and say, Hey, all right, here's some possible dates. Let's see if we can work something out and create something for television. Because I saw this tweet earlier in the week, and it was among the reasons I wanted to write uh, the column, because the tweet uh, surprised me. It, it, it might surprise you. I'd be interested to know if it does. So sports shut down in March 2020. You might have heard about it. Pandemic. Ignorant. Ridiculous pandemic. Since sports has restarted, from then till now, the two most watched sports cast in our country that aren't football games, because nobody's messing around with football, NFL or college. Take football, put it over here. The two most watched sports cast since sports restarted in this pandemic. Number one is Gonzaga Baylor national title game. Number two is Gonzaga UCLA national semifinal the championship game drew 16.92 million viewers and the semifinal between gonzaga ucla 14.94 million viewers 
That's more than every NBA Finals game, every NBA playoff game. It's more than every World Series game, every playoff game in Major League Baseball, everything in Stanley Cup. It's more than the Kentucky Derby. It is more than any tennis tournament, golf tournament, including the Masters, any round. That suggests there's an audience for college basketball if you give us compelling games. UCLA-Gonzaga was compelling by design and then on the court. Baylor-Gonzaga was compelling. In, in theory, not so much once the game started. But either way, people were there for it. And I just think that should be a real wake-up call to coaches, athletic directors, people who care about the sport. If you, if you take one of your whatever games and turn it into a marquee game, then there's some evidence that suggests people will watch it. There's some evidence that suggests it can register even in the middle of football season. So now you've got UCLA and Gonzaga, number one and number two in the top 25 and one right now, trying to get a game schedule. The buildup would be tremendous. The atmosphere could be outstanding. If Johnny Juzang is back at UCLA, mm-hmm. he's somebody casual fans would recognize. If Drew Timmy is back at Gonzaga, he's somebody casual fans will recognize. Chet Holmgren on the Zags is somebody NBA fans will recognize because he's considered that type of prospect. So let's say we get that one done. Now, um, and I, I'm not suggesting this is going to happen. I'm just saying in a different year with a different mindset – could Jay Wright get on the phone with Jawan Howard and say, hey, um, I was looking at the top 25 and one. Uh, I'm third. You're sixth. Why don't we get a game together? Could Scott Drew get with Chris Holtman? Neither of whom get much as much credit as they deserve. They by just the don't. Way. Yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. Could they get together and say, hey, uh, I was looking at the top 25 and one. Ohio State's five. Baylor's eight. Let's play a game against each other in Sioux Falls. You know, could could – uh, Rick Barnes get on the phone with Leonard Hamilton and say, hey, looks like I'm 15th, you're 14th in the top 25 and one. Let's get a game together. Again, it, it, nothing is as simple as I'm making it sound right now, but just because it might be slightly complicated doesn't mean it's impossible. If Gonzaga can do this type of thing two years in a row, then other programs can do it hopefully every once in a while. And here's the issue. I mean, or, or here's the thing that you, you need to remember, the coaches need to remember. What's the downside? You're, you're creating a high-profile game against another quality program. If you win it, woo, it's a big resume booster. If you lose it, who cares? Like, this isn't college football, where if you lose a game early, it might actually keep you from winning a national championship. It could actually keep you out of, out, of, out of the college football playoff. If you are a legitimately good college basketball team, there is no loss you can take in November or December that's going to prevent you from getting into the NCAA tournament. In fact, there's no loss you can take in November or December that's going to prevent you from being a number one seed in the NCAA tournament if you do what you're supposed to do going forward. So there is no downside to scheduling these games. It's good for your program. It's good for the sport. Um, I, I wish more people would try to make them happen. And that voice is reaching levels of uh, morning coffee. That's uh, you're really you're finding you're finding a groove here. You're getting into it. I like I'm, it. I, I'm just trying to settle in. You're I'm settling in, settle in, right? Yeah. Um, I, 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 I like. How long do you think I'm going to be like this? Oh, at least a week. For real? Because no, I'm going to no, be on just, TV tomorrow. No, I don't. Am I am I obligated to to text my producer as soon as we get through recording this I and say, say, "Hey, just so you know, I'm good to go, but." 
I might not sound great. Is that how big of a problem is that? Uh, you might be heading toward that situation there. I, yeah, you, I'm gonna have to. You gotta go. T- you gotta get some tea and honey in there. Um, so what you referenced, by the way, uh, with the with the ratings, I did see that. Weirdly, how about this? You mentioned Gonzaga Baylor, sixteen point nine two million. Gonzaga UCLA, fourteen point nine four. Uh, and I'll have a thought on that in just a second. The Kentucky Derby this year, fourteen point three seven million. Man. A lot of people watching horses, and it's it's like a t- it's a six hour telecast with a two minute race. Fascinating. Yeah, is it one of those? Because here's the way it works at my house. I wonder how many people are really watching horses, opposed to it's just on. Like it was just on at my house. I wasn't sitting there watching the whole tele. It's a very easy six hour telecast to watch while you're doing other things. Like, hey, I'm gonna full close. I guess I'll just have the Kentucky Derby broadcast on. Like, when you have a, a golf tournament on, I do think it's a, like, there's a shot every 30 seconds. Yes. Like, you kind of need to watch it if you're into it. But with, with the Kentucky Derby broadcast, um, you, it can just kind of be on as a background for the rest of the day. Does that contribute to that at all? I think so. I also think a lot of people are like me and they they they, forget every single year they think the ra- the race is at like 515 and it's like 650 so like you turn it on and you're like all right and they and they they have a way of teasing it they're like oh it must be coming up next it must be coming up next. it's just not just keep well, going i will going. i will say there was a um, i was outside with my uh um with, me and my middle son went and played golf and then we came home and it 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 popped in my head like oh like the the you know kentucky derby is probably about to start i'll go ahead and turn it on like I, you know, the race should be coming up. It was like ninety minutes before the exactly. race actually happened. But I, I was in yeah. my head for whatever reason. It was like this is probably about to start. We were still a pretty good ways from it starting. To your greater point, you're right. Uh, the the ratings well, they indicate a couple of things. Yes, um, those kind of matchups bring people to watch. We also hadn't had a tournament in two years. We had an undefeated team in the Final Four. You had UCLA Blue Blood Program. Baylor Gonzaga were number one two most of the season. So I think there were a lot of factors that led to that, but. Your greater point is accurate, and if anything, uh, a good sign for college basketball. Maybe also a little bit, not problematic, but there's there's no other game in the top ten. So Gonzaga UCLA was one of the five best tournament games ever, as far as I'm concerned. That was number two, and then you had Gonzaga Baylor number one. You didn't have any other tournament game in the top ten that cracked, you know, more than nine point two five million. Not the worst thing in the world, but a good thing that the Biggest ones were on top, but uh, but no one else in there. I think Gonzaga being undefeated, um, we talked about it plenty on the podcast, obviously. But I think now that we are removed from the tournament, uh, it's even more so. Like you have a t- whenever the tournament can have a team with a bagel heading into that dance, it is a significant draw. There is an inherent pull for people to watch if a team has never lost. And I think Gonzaga also, everyone knowing who Gonzaga is, uh, I think that also played into it. Yeah, there's no, there's no question. But I, I was surprised. Like, really? It outdrew those two college basketball games. It outdrew every Major League Baseball game. Yeah. Even World Series games. Every NBA game. Even NBA Finals games. Like, that was surprising to me um, just because of a lot of the issues the sport does face. But, again, it was a pleasant surprise. You know, they're, they're, people will watch when you provide compelling matchups. So, um, you know, hopefully we've got coaches who, you know, take the approach that that Mark Few and Scott Drew took last season that, you know, the, Mark Few and, and Mick Cronin are taking right now. Hopefully more coaches will get on board with that and try to create um, interesting matchups 
between teams we know are going to be good in the upcoming season. All right, so before we move on, here's a, a refresher for listeners. Here's who GP has in his top 10 right now. UCLA, Gonzaga, Nova, Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, and then Duke, Baylor, Kansas, and Arkansas round out the top 10 in that exact order. And, you know, if we're just spitballing here, like I'd love to see, I'd love to see something like, Alabama versus Baylor, you know that kind of, that that kind of matchup I think would be fascinating and terrific. Alabama coming off a really good year sets up as a potential top five team again, something like that. So if I were to pick, like you know UCLA and Zaga, they're probably going to get it done. When they're talking at this level on the record, it's it's basically done, and they're just trying to tie up loose ends. So we're going to get UCLA versus Gonzaga next season. There, um, outside of that, I'd love to see something like. I, I, I don't know. Stuff that, like, Ohio State versus Kansas. You have a huge following uh, with Ohio State's alumni base. Uh, Chris Holtman coming off a disappointing exit in the tournament as a two-seed. You know, can't, there'll, be intri- there'll be intrigue and interest over whether or not the Buckeyes can be really, really good again and can they uh, bounce back from an embarrassing exit. And then with Kansas... What you know? What might even be the story with the Jayhawks by the time we even get to next season? So those are, I I just wanted to kind of highlight a couple of games that they're not set up to happen. They probably won't happen. But if we want to see repeats of this, those are the kind of matchups that I actually think would be would be pretty damn interesting. And then you throw in by the way, like a North Carolina with Hubert Davis, they're sixteenth. Like even like North Carolina, if it could play, looking at anyone else in your top, like North Carolina. Texas, you know, that kind of like beard, like that kind of stuff would be wonderful because two programs really, really, you know, two of the top five to 10 jobs in college basketball, both with new coaches at the helm, uh, huge followings, huge presence there. So just a couple to toss out that I would, uh, that are on my wish list, so to speak. But hopefully, you know, by the time we get to mid, midsummer, we are, we are talking at least about another one or two of these that have happened and, uh, and few and Cronin can, can kind of rally a few coaches to uh to follow their footsteps yeah and i'll take it a step further like um you, you could do one-offs like ucla gonzaga in las vegas um you know a- alabama baylor in uh dallas you know you could do one-offs like that but or if you're the coach of a program that's always good like never bad villanova you're jay Wright. And there's another program like Kansas, oh, oh, never bad. Then like, hey, okay, let's let's just do a home and home because I like these things on campus as well. I think Villanova, Kansas actually did do a home and home in, in recent years. It feels yes, like I remember right. Kansas losing in Philadelphia. Um, but I, I just wish, and I I understand. I, I should point out, like again, this is complicated. Sometimes schools need to do X amount of buy games to create a season ticket, uh, a home schedule for season ticket packages to create revenue. Like I understand the purpose behind the financial purposes behind buy games. I just wish that at some of these schools where money isn't really an issue, sacrifice one of the buy games to go play a real quality opponent because it's good for the sport and even if you lose it, it just it just does not hurt you the way you're scared that it might. I personally never punish teams for, or very rarely, unless it's a blowout, punish teams for losing to other good teams, to teams that are perceived to be better. Again, if this were college football, I would advise against what I'm saying because you don't want to take an early loss that eliminates you from the college football playoff. But in college basketball with a 68-team tournament, if you're good, you'll get you'll be where you need to be by the end. And a loss in November, December 
um, you know, is not going to be that big of a deal. You know, I can't help but wonder if uh, if John Calipari might uh, find reason to to improv and set up into uh, into a new game for next season, given the news that Kentucky got. Maybe expected news, but news that landed on Wednesday. Yeah, before we get out of here, Kentucky did get a commitment from Iowa transfer C.J. Frederick. Does that move the needle for you? You know what? It doesn't move the needle a ton for me. Uh, it's a good get. It is, an, it is an expected get. It's also a get that comes with a, a little bit of drama and that Iowa fans have been maintaining for weeks now that Kentucky tampered with this situation. Um, the family has gone on record saying that's absolutely not the case and went on record lo- like weeks ago before CJ Frederick ever committed. Now, he, he committed and signed on Wednesday. He's going to join. It's a big addition because Kentucky's been horrendous with its three-point shooting, and that was a, a, one of many factors that led to Kentucky going 9-16 and 16 last season. Uh, but, but getting Frederick in t- into the roster, is going. It, it should, it should uh, greatly improve uh, this team's ability from beyond the arc. I mean, a season ago, Kentucky shot 33.6% from behind the three-point line, and, uh, you know, what do you want? It's 172nd in the country. It's terrible. But this is what Kentucky's been uh, for almost every single season of Calipari's tenure. You know, 115th year before, 114, 124, 155, 74, 143, 214, 130 run going past uh, across the past eight or nine seasons. So Frederick comes in. He is a 46.6% career shooter through two seasons at Iowa, and he's done that on 178 attempts. So he's done well. Um, does it move the needle? No, I think it's a good piece to add. I will be interested to see how Kentucky looks next season, plays next season. You know, they get him. Uh, Kellen Grady from Davidson, another good shooter. Dante Allen is going to return to the roster. And, you know, if he can grow, remember he had that like two-game stretch where people went nuts. Uh, He did shoot 39.7% on 78 attempts from three last season, did Dante Allen. So you get those three players back. Um, Davion Mintz is testing the waters. I think Davion Mintz is returning to Kentucky. So you'll get you'll probably get him back as well. Do you have him, by the way, when you're ranking Kentucky? Is your presumption, like, are you ranking them with, with the idea that Mintz will be back on the roster? I have him projected on the roster. I acknowledge it's not definite, but, you know, if you're, quote, testing the waters, but making it clear you're also leaving your um, your college option available to you, then, like, if you're not going to get picked, and I don't think he's going to get picked, I'm going to project you back to school. Um, if he does what NBA – he says he wants to go through the process and get feedback. Well, if he listens to the feedback, the feedback's going to be go back to school, mm-hmm. be a part of a good team, uh, show that you can shoot a good percentage from three in back-to-back years, show that you can do it in a winning situation. Um, like I always say, do whatever he wants. You know, it's his life, not mine. I'm, I'm worried about my college-age son, not somebody else's. But – um, I, 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 if I were advising him, I would tell him to go back to school and be a part of what could be a very good team. And if he does, that's a 37.8% three-point shooter with Dante Allen, who is 39.7. Kellen Grady, um, as you mentioned, the Davidson transfer, uh, shot 38.2% from three this past season on 6.9 attempts per game. And then you add C.J. Frederick, you've got four either, quote, either respectable or high-level shooters now on your roster. Now, here's the deal. Got to play them. Mm-hmm. You know, having shooters doesn't matter if they're sitting on your bench. And so 
it's not just an, um, enough to, to recruit shooters. You have to play them. And I have thought for a while that this would be the next step for Kentucky and Duke, both of which have largely been poor three-point shooting teams despite their success in recent years. Roster build the way the Lakers roster build, the way the Bucks roster build. You get a talent like LeBron James, a talent like Anthony Davis, and then you surround them with shooters. You get a talent like Giannis Antetokounmpo, and then you surround him with shooters. Um, at Kentucky and Duke, yeah, still keep getting your one-and-done five-star athletes. If you can get Zion Williamson, you should get him. Um, if you can get R.J. Barrett, you should get him. If you can get the five stars that come through Kentucky, you should get them, at least some of them. But surround them with players who complement them. The Lakers don't go out and just try to get the best player. And I know salary cap, blah, blah, blah. But they don't go out and just say, we need to get you know, the best players we can get. They say, we've got LeBron, we've got AD. Now, how do we best supplement our roster to, to maximize what they are? Uh, the, the Bucks, how, what works best with Giannis as our centerpiece? In college basketball, at places like Duke and Kentucky, I think you need to start thinking along those lines. Okay, we got one scholarship left. We could go try to get another five-star, six-six wing coming out of high school who's projected to be, you know, the twenty-third pick in the next draft. Or would we better be better off getting a, a transfer who's already spent two years in college and, you know, has shot above forty-six percent in both years? Yeah, let's just go get that guy because that guy will work best with our other guys. What is the point of having uh, three first-round picks in your starting lineup if none of them can shoot and now your team doesn't function properly? So I, I like this. Now, it should be noted that C.J. Frederick's role was redru reduced as a sophomore at, at Iowa. He went from averaging 10.2 points per game as a freshman to 7.5 points per game as a sophomore. His minutes per game also went down. So... Um, th th that's worth exploring. Exactly why did his role decrease at, at Iowa? And now what does that suggest his role could be uh, at, at Kentucky? You know, I'll, I'll let John and his staff figure that out. But I, I do like Kentucky having shooters because one of the real flaws with, you know, John's teams in recent years has been an inability to take advantage from the three-point line in a time where some of the best teams in the country, our national champions, are, are taking advantage of the three-point line. This is clear to me with the addition of C.J. Frederick that he's trying to address that, that, that you've got somebody who recognizes we've got a big problem, we've had a big problem, and now I need to probably change, change my approach. That's what, that's what this suggests to me. One final note on Kentucky's roster for those keeping track at home. I know the Kentucky fans listening are quite locked in on it. Um, so Mince is, is deciding, but we both believe he'll return. Uh, I think Isaiah Jackson is gone. Uh, Keon Brooks will be back. Dante Allen will be back. Jacob Toppin will be back. Um, you will have Damian Collins and Bryce Hopkins as freshmen coming in, neither of whom are top 10 players. Good players, but we'll see. And then, of course, Oscar Shibway from West Virginia is going to be eligible in addition to the guys that we've already mentioned there. So uh, Kentucky's probably going to have to pick up uh, a viable point guard here soon as well to kind of round out things. GP's got him uh, you know, hovering around that 20 spot in his overall rankings. That's probably fair. I, I think, objectively speaking, where Kentucky is now, particularly with Frederick, it is 
an unequivocal top 25 team heading into the season. I know it went 9-16 and 16 last season. I know it was underachieving. But I think based on the personnel that it has, uh, that, is a, that is a fair and objective uh, ranking. I would resist against putting them 15th or better almost regardless of who else they bring on because they were so inconsistent last season that I do need to see uh, real evidence that they can get back into that uh, into that realm. But where they are right now, you're going in a good direction. And Cal, uh, not only did he acknowledge what the fans were screaming about, he knows what he's doing. Like He knew that he had to bring in more help with perimeter shooting. He's clearly added that, and we'll see how those pieces work together. Yeah, I, I do think they'll add a point guard. And I know Kentucky fans are a little freaked out, like, right, like, you know, because they missed on this guy, they missed on this guy, and they just had a McDonald's All-American decommit. Like, where are we going with this thing? I just, and I guess you mentioned tampering earlier, and I know the Frederick family has denied it, and I'll take them at their word. More than that, I just don't care. I just assume tampering is a thing because it is. So, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I I wonder what went on there. I'm going to assume every transfer has been tampered with. (laughs) Um, Either their family or their former high school coach or AAU coach. I just, you're never going to get me to care. I, I don't care. So... It's like, like um, whatever, I, I won't make a poor comparison. Let's just leave it at that. I don't care. So I, I guess I'm just sort of of the belief that eventually John Calipari is going to be able to get on the phone and offer somebody the opportunity to be the starting point guard at Kentucky. Like, like, I don't care. Even if you're happy where you're at. Like John Calipari identifies you. Here's an established, experienced point guard who really knows how to run a team guard his position, um, you know, plays hard, all the characteristics we want for a point guard for this team. I just feel like he's going to be able to go, um, hey, I don't know if you're happy or not where you're at, but um, if you want to be the starting point guard at Kentucky, uh, we'd be interested in talking to you about that. I, I just think you can get somebody to there, – there might actually be somebody who's not even seriously considering transferring right now who could in theory end up at Kentucky just because, you know, after it happens, they would say, um, I just realized I had an opportunity to be the starting point guard at Kentucky, and why would I not take advantage of that? Like, why is that not something that's going to happen? Uh, exactly. I mean, it's, rhetor- it's rhetorical at this point, right? No, I, I, hear, I hear you on all that, man. Uh, but, uh, hey, it hasn't stopped Iowa fans from being furious over it. So Yeah, well, just tamper back. Go Like, you go tamper now. Like every, it just, it tam- You're never going to eliminate tampering, so just tamper. There we go. That's that's. This is why you'd make a great head coach, wouldn't you? Yeah, I would just be like, okay, like everybody's tampering. Let's just tamper. I'm happy to tamper. Everyone else is doing it, so why can't we? Yes. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Hey, I got a couple. I got a couple housekeeping items here, real quick. Okay. Um, first of all, I got some. I got some sad news. Like, oh no. Well, that's not sad, but just like it's kind of a bummer. So this, I've meant to put this on the past couple of podcasts. I just have neglected to do so. Um, the guys over at Sikkim 365 Radio, uh, they had they had a certain person on their podcast back in April. Uh, I'm going to play this for you real quick here uh, and, and then just get your response, okay? So here it is. I've had two or three people retweet when I put up that you were coming up next on the show here on Sikkim 365 Radio, and all of them then put out... A, a kind of a copy to Gary Parrish and Matt Norlander. They do an Eye on College Basketball podcast, and apparently every time they do a podcast, they give a shout-out to you. Do you know about that? 
Uh, no, I hadn't, I hadn't, but it's great to hear. <laughs> yeah, the, the Gary, yeah, Gary Paris from CBS, Matt Norlander, we had him on, in fact, uh, I think maybe the day or two after the championship game, both from CBS Sports, and they would always mention your name. Ashley Hodge mentioned that as well. What's it like to still be revered for what you do? Okay. Tara Teagle doesn't even know we exist, man. Oh, Jesus, Lord. Um, Come on, off- man. Are you kidding me? Three years of this, four years of this. He's like, nah, nah, nah. He just he breezed right past that. Right past a, it. First off, there's a zero percent chance those guys would be talking to Terry Teagle if we had not brought Terry Teagle back. Nobody knows who Terry Teagle is. Uh, okay. Before us. Wow, this is turning. Yeah, like uh, all right. This is, I was, this is turning in a hurry here. Is he in danger like, of getting kicked off the like, show? Like Devin Downey knows who we are. <laughs> You're damn right he does. Because people screamed. I have been told people scream at Devin Downey when they see him at like they, South I, Carolina they actually, basketball they, they, games or they whatever. Shout at Devin Downey. Yep. They shouted there, Devin Downey. That's disappointing from Terry Teagle. Come on, man, Terry. You know like, what? It, it, I, 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 I've got the Bears schedule right here. That's Terry Teagle. Can you see him? I do. I see him. Yeah, that's laminated and everything. I bought this on eBay, and he can't even acknowledge our you existence. We brought we brought him back. We brought Terry Teagle back. I'm going to have to start shouting out Calvin Natt instead. Because Calvin Natt is the forgotten star from that segment that birthed the Terry Teagle stuff. So shouts to Calvin Natt while we're at it. Also, like, uh, well, first, maybe it's time to have a real conversation about whether Terry Teagle is a legend. <laughs> maybe that's... Do we need to have that conversation today? Maybe, maybe... Maybe we should revisit whether he's actually <laughs> a legend. That was disrespectful. We, but he we did can right talk there. freely about this because this is just not getting back to him. I mean, we've talked about this man. We've given shouts, legends, all this stuff. <laughs> just, that was disrespectful. It's it's highly disrespectful, man. Not only that. Uh, okay, I I understand why. I think that uh, I think I think Bryce has been talking to to Terry. This is Bryce, and I don't care. Terry that doesn't was, care. And you know that what? Was, it's not, it's not Terry doesn't care. That's not how we do this. Okay. Also, I got to give a shout out to Superdog underscore Illini. He got the trivia time in the Apple review section. Now, I said the past 25 seasons, he claims it was a 24, but he did get all 17. I'm not going to read them off, but credit to him. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read his review because he gives us a shout. He says, on a non-trivia time note, and by the way, Superdog Illini, find me and I'll, uh, I said I was going to give you something. I'll, I'll think of something cool related to the podcast and I'll, uh, I'll ship it your way here. He said, Ask him if he wants a Terry Teagle schedule. Yes. You, you know what? Maybe he does. Maybe he will take the Terry Teagle 81-82 Baylor Bears schedule. He might do it. I don't need it no more. Yeah, I hear you. On a non-trivia time note, this is my favorite podcast to listen to, and I haven't missed an episode since I first found the pod a few years ago. GP and Norlander not only know what they're talking about, but it's clear they love what they do. Their coverage is fair, balanced, and accurate, even though I'm sure their listenership is huge. They don't get enough they just don't get enough credit for the insight and coverage on all things college basketball, extinct avian species. Desert Mammal Turf Wars and my personal and hometown favorite Chicago-style pizza. Hope it was tasty, Norlander. It was, and I'm still waiting on them. I'm, I'm savoring that next one to eat later this year, GP. He finishes, the pod was great in the before times and has kept me going through the dumbest pandemic of our lifetimes. They give shouts to everyone on the pod, but I think it's time we give some shouts to them for putting out such awesome pods so often. So shouts to you guys, GP and MN. Underdog, uh, Superdog underscore Illini. Shouts to you, my friend. And on that note, GP, I got a note 
from uh, from Eric and KC. This is the this is the person who has previously seeded out the best podcast moments from a year ago. He has sent me an initial list. I'm not going to read them all, but there is some stuff on here that I have no memory of of talking about. Uh, front yard Prius, Parish going half nip. What the hell is that? Going half I nip? Gonna, I was going to, if something happened, I was going to go on HQ. Oh, okay. That's right. Half sure. I can't remember what the thing was. There's some great ones in here. Muss and Leonard Hamilton selling edibles. <laughs> that was a that good was, one. Uh, th- there's a couple in here that are just like without any context, which is what we prefer, uh, are amazing. GP's preference for a big hog. Willie Warren's playing in Taiwan and the Pope brothers, his brother, who is also a bank robber. Classic moment there. That was um, something. Just Those so good. Pope brothers were out of control. They were, they were out of control. There's some there's some obvious ones. UMass Lowell, birthplace of Elvis. Uh, well, actually, it says birthplace of Elvis. It's the alma mater. Alma mater. Elvis. Elvis was born in Tupelo, Mississippi. Let's let's get that let's let's get that correct, please. GP is built like a toad. <laughs> there's, there's some really there's some GP mastering the harmonica in a year. You said you could do it. Have you even picked up a harmonica once since we talked about this? No, of course not. Of course you haven't. Yeah. Negotiating serious radio until it's free is just an all-timer by my wife. <laughs> and it, it still comes up. She thought she could hold out until the, the the stuff came in the mail with the reduced price every other week. I'm going to hold out. I'm going to hold out. They're going to eventually give this to me for free. That's not how commerce works. Yeah, that's not. Amazing. But anyway, uh, and the bill can belts in there. Chris Holtman doesn't get enough credit. One of my favorites. Text from a high major coach. Illinois could win it all. So anyway, thank you, Eric and Casey. He's going to see this out eventually, and we'll, we'll try and work it in at some point. But just want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Our thanks to the listeners as well. Uh, you guys uh, came through huge. Uh, in many ways, listening, podcast, all that stuff, for the tournament in April. So the returns were good, and uh, I just wanted to uh, address that. In a relatively slow, slow week of college basketball, which is to be expected and, frankly, as far as you and I are concerned, embraced. Shouts to David Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Lace Darius Dunn. Legend. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for listening once again to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Middle of the absolute dumbest pandemic of my lifetime. I tell you what, Orlando, we got a big problem down here in the South. I know. I can't get my neighbors to go get shots. I'm doubled up. You're a fully vaccinated man now. Fully vaccinated as of earlier this week. You on that Pfizer? Pfizer gang rise up. And uh, yeah, it was good. Hydrated plenty before and during and felt nothing. Turns out one side effect of the vaccine is that you lose your voice. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. not true. Three months That's, later. That, that'll, be, that'll, be on a, that'll be on Reddit somewhere <laughs> okay. by the end of the day. It's not true. My, can't get my neighbors. Have you seen the have you seen the the breakdown? Basically all of us southern states are we got too many people who are hesitant to get the vaccine and it's messing everything up. You seen what my do you state? think we, what do you think I you got any advice for me down here? I can lure my neighbors to the vaccine facility? You can I think you need to actually yeah, I think you need to bribe people with alcohol. I think that's actually how they're doing this now. Shot for a shot. That's how they're doing it. Shot, they're, shot in a beer. Do you see the one the Mets are doing? Mets and Yankees, they're going to have vaccine spots, uh, vaccine opportunities at Mets and Yankees games very soon. 
and um, they will have fully vaccinated sections at Yankee Stadium and City Field. So if you want to sit in a fully vaccinated section, you have to show proof of, vac- uh, of, of vaccination. And then, like, there's no social distancing at all. Like, every seat in those I mean, sections will be you're filled. You're trying to get people and, to get this thing, and they got to go see the Mets? The Mets are going to be – they're going to get better. They're going to get better. They fired the hitting coach. That'll fix everything. That'll fix everything. Chili Davis. Chili Davis. I'm on top of it. <laughs> was that the first time you'd heard Chili Davis's name in 20 years? It, it, at least 15. It is a long <laughs> time. I had no idea. Chili Davis. So, um, oh, and and so here's the other thing. Then if you if you're not vaccinated but you want to get vac- uh get the vaccine, you can get it at City Field and Yankee Stadium, and then they'll give you free tickets to a future game. So there's that's an incentive. That's, that's I like that. Good. I like providing incentives. Let's we go. need we need incentives down here in the South. So, if any of you got any ideas how I can get um, people around here to 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 do what we're supposed to do, um, just hit me on Twitter. I'm taking all advice right now. If you haven't subscribed to the Iron College Basketball Podcast, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate it, and I promise you, we will talk to you again real soon. And I'm hopeful that it'll be under a different set of circumstances like that I have my voice back kinda Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen are you still listening good take a deep breath you needed a break This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount+. Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount+, Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.